It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Hold Your Fire, a podcast by the International Crisis Group. I'm Naz Modirzadeh. And I'm Richard Atwood. Today, we're going to talk about Mali. We're going to talk about the war that pits Malian security forces, backed by other regional militaries, French special forces and French air power, against an Al-Qaeda-linked insurgency, the Group for the Support of Islam and Muslims, or the JNIM, the Janine. In particular, we're going to talk about prospects for peace talks. Mali's prime minister has accused the French government of abandoning his people at a time when jihadists do appear to be gaining strength. In the north and centre of the country, attacks are intensifying, with the Malian army losing ground to new armed groups like the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara. Now, after a recent coup in Mali and ahead of the next French presidential election campaign, what's the way forward? Who do you talk to and who do you fight? For now, fighting appears to have reached a stalemate, at least as long as French troops remain. The Janim hold rural areas across much of northern and central Mali, but have been unable to advance further and have suffered major losses. For their part, government forces struggle to make gains against militants in vast desert areas. Over the past couple of years, both sides have said they might be open to talks aimed at reaching some form of settlement. Mali itself has suffered two coups in the past 18 months or so, but top officials from successive administrations have said they're prepared to explore talks with Janine. Janine leaders have also expressed an interest, though it's far from clear whether they're prepared to offer any compromises and they condition their engagement on the withdrawal of foreign forces. They appear to have been emboldened by the Taliban's takeover in Afghanistan. Le temps est venu. La poursuite de, de notre engagement au Sahel ne se fera pas à cadre constant. That was French President Emmanuel Macron talking about French operations. Paris opposes the idea of talking to militants, yet French officials and the French public also appear to be losing patience with the French deployment. So is a settlement possible in the Sahel? To talk about this, we're delighted to welcome on Ibrahim Yahaya Ibrahim, who's one of Crisis Group's Sahel experts. He's the author of a Crisis Group report that will be out soon on prospects for peace talks. Ibrahim, welcome on. Thank you very much, Richard. So 
So, Ibrahim, should we start by you just giving us a, a sort of state of play of, of what the conflict in the Sahel looks like now? Well, um, sure. So the conflict, as you, you described it, is uh, locked in a mutually hurting stalemate uh, right now, as both sides suffer major casualties, um, with no one appearing capable of achieving a unilateral victory. On one side, Bamako struggles to contain the insurgency. Military operations have yielded mixed results. It's true that they have inflicted heavy losses on Jinin, but thus far they have failed to defeat uh, the coalition or secure zone that they have been taken from the militants. While the military often focuses on holding major towns, the jihadists often retreat to hideouts, not only in the bushes, but also in desert towns, mountains, um, uh, from which they launch periodic raids on the, on the military. A French diplomat that I like to, to quote often says that the situation looks like mowing a lawn, only to see the lawn grow again after a little while. On the other side, on the Jinim side, Jinim has gradually expanded uh, its reach, nonetheless lost hundreds of fighters uh, and several senior commanders. If you look at the, the way in which they announced the, the merger, uh, five of the senior commanders uh, were there uh, during the announcements. Among those, there are only three that are alive today. Uh, the others have perished. And even there is a fourth one that narrowly escaped um, a, a, a bombing in, in November, who's Hamadun Pufa. Jinim has won complete control of only a few districts in northern and central Mali, occupying many rural areas. So if the situation is in, in this stalemate, there is also the fact that both protagonists, whether on the government side and its allies and the Jinim side, they are both um, losing control of the dynamics of the conflict as new actors um, are coming in, um, including ISIS-related groups, um, the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara, but also uh, many militias that are proliferating, um, whether to, to protect their communities or to defend different agendas. Ibrahim, can I ask you to tell us, in these areas where the fighting is continuing, what, what does it look like for the people that are living in these areas in a day-to-day -day sense? So, so let, let me describe the areas in which um, this is all happening. Um, uh, we are talking about northern Mali in particular and the central Mali, um, where the jihadist groups, Jamaat Nusrat al-Islam al-Muslimin, has established uh, strongholds. In these areas, Jinim control usually only pockets of territories from where it exerts influence on the larger, um, on larger spaces. Um, the, the militants rely on a system of shadow governance uh, to rule over rural communities. Um, they rarely establish a permanent presence in those villages under their control, but rather establish bases or camps that are locally known as markas, center or camp in Arabic, in those remote areas. And then they collaborate with local notables to run uh, local affairs on their terms. Um, in each markas, um, they establish uh, what they call Hizba, um, which is a vice squad or uh, a police of morality uh, in charge of policing and enforcing uh, the moral code. In most of those districts where Jinim offshoot operates, uh, their, control, their control remains still partial. As I explained, they are challenged by either state forces or armed, other armed groups that are fighting for different agendas. Um, only in a few districts 
uh, in northern and central Mali has Jamil achieved a hegemonic position in which they control, um, if not the entire district, at least most of the areas outside major towns. Ibrahim, could you say a word or two then about Jinim itself? Who are its leaders? Which demographic is it recruiting from? Sure. Um, so Jinim is a coalition of uh, or four Mali-based jihadist groups. Um, it is formed in uh, 2017. And uh, those four katibas um, are al Murabitun. Three of those uh, katibas had their origins in the 2012 uh, uprising in northern Mali. Uh, Al-Furqan, in particular, had emerged earlier uh, in, the 20, in, in the 2000s, around 2006 or 2007. Uh, what unites these groups um, is their allegiance to the Al-Qaeda network, and also they try to distinguish themselves from other militant groups who have pledged allegiance to the Islamic State in, 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 in Iraq and, and Syria. Jinim is led by a well-known um, leader in northern Mali, who is Iyad al-Ghali, um, who is a Tuareg rebel uh, before he turned jihadist um, uh, in the 2000s. Ibrahim, just to jump in, the Tuaregs are this, uh, this ethnic group that, that uh, live across northern Mali and parts of Niger, right? Yes, um, uh, they are found in northern Mali, um, northern Niger, southern Algeria, and southern Libya in particular. So uh, Yad Aghali is uh, a major leader um, among these groups, and um, his, his really, uh, I think, um, charisma and leadership came from his long experience as a military strategist, a, a negotiator in, in, the, in previous um, uh, talks with uh, the Malian government, between the Malian government and the rebel leaders of between um, jihadists and different um, governments in the region to free hostages. Um, so so that those uh, activities of his in, in the past have uh, bolstered his reputation among the Tuareg in northern Mali and beyond. Uh, and in turn, that, that is what helped him um, to cement uh, his authority uh, over Jinim. His leadership appeared uh, so far uncontested. And um, if anything, uh, it has, his leadership has grown stronger uh, under his command, the various Katibas have tightened uh, their co coordination and the improved communication. I think this is the role that Jinim, the coalition, has provided. Um, it is to tighten communication um, uh, and uh, coordination between, between themselves in terms of conducting uh, their, their operations. Yet is not the only person that is important within the group. Um, there are other um, leaders, in particular the leaders of the Katibas, um, uh, who are who wield a significant influence um, because uh, Jinim has also a decentralized governance structure that gives those katibas um, a significant leeway in terms of running their local operations. Um, so among those uh, leaders of the katiba, um, there, there there is um, Hamadun Kufa, um, who is the leader of the katiba Masina. There is Abdurrahman Talha, um, known also as Talha Al Libi, um, who is the head of the katiba Al Furqan. And there is also Saidan Aghita, um, who is uh, a top commander uh, uh, within Ansaradin. All these leaders are Malian, and this is one specificity about Jinim, um, is that its main, main leadership um, are all Malians, with the exception of Alibi, who is, who, whom observers describe as Mauritanians, though his mother might be Malian.
Um, uh, now, the ranking files within Jinim are composed mainly of local populations, uh, even though there are others who come from outside, and uh, most of them uh, are recruited based on individual motivations, even though there are communities that, that often join the, the, the group uh, based because they are aggrieved by the way the governance has worked um, locally. Uh, in particular, we can cite um, the Pearl or the Fulani, uh, the nomadic Pearl in particular, a subgroup of, of the Pearl communities in central Mali um, who have been very uh, prominent. Ibrahim, you've mentioned that the Janim leaders are all Malian, perhaps with the exception of Alibi, and clearly there are ties to more global jihadist organizations. But can you tell us a bit about what does Janim want? Are they framing their demands as being kind of local and Mali-based, or are they articulating them as being more about the goals of, of global jihad? I think there are a little bit of both, but the emphasis is on the local. Janim um, says that it pursues two main goals, the withdrawal of foreign troops um, from Mali uh, in particular, and the establishment of an Islamic rule, um, primarily in Mali, but it can put, uh, and potentially in the entire Sahel region. It is unclear where they draw the line which, uh, of, of, of um, the scope um, of, of their, their, their insurgency. Um, by Islamic rule, Jinim suggests, um, in particular, its rhetoric at least, um, suggests that it aims to bring um, Mali's political system as well as social practice in line with the particularly stringent interpretation of Islamic law uh, or the Sharia. Um, so the coalition rejects um, Mali's uh, constitution as being an Islamic. And it also rejects the principle of secularism, which is enshrined um, in Malian, in the Malian law. Um, it also describes um, electoral democracy as um, the rule of ignorance, um, which they call hukumul jahiliya, as opposed to the rule of God, which is hukumullah. In addition, um, the, the militants envision a society uh, where people adhere to a code of conduct um, that restricts choices in terms of clothing, entertainment, and education, and limit interaction between um, men and women, uh, among other things. So, Ibrahim, does Janim also challenge the borders of Mali itself? Does it think that the the international borders of Mali are illegitimate? Uh, they have an ambiguous discourse uh, about borders and the scope of the insurgency, whether it's local or um, global. So there are times when they say that uh, their fighting is in Mali, um, and they say that they only attack other countries because they are involved in fighting them in Mali. But there are often times when they say that this is all fabricated borders. Um, there are one instance when they, they attack Niger and in their, in their official statement they say all these borders anyways are fabricated borders and this conflict um, is the same, it's ongoing up to Jerusalem um, because uh, they say that um, liberating Jerusalem is um, uh, one of their, their goals. Um, so it is, it is, there is this ambiguity about um, uh, what is the scope, what is the real scope of, of the insurgency. When we talk about the ties between Janim and other Katibas and other Malian groups to Al-Qaeda, what does that actually mean? What does it mean in 2021 to be an affiliate of Al-Qaeda? Well, 
And it is clear that Ejinim has pledged allegiance to the Algerian-based Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb um, uh, and to Al-Qaeda General Command. But it is unclear whether uh, they are subordinated to these foreign networks or not. Still, there is no doubt that uh, AKM has had, uh, AKM is Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb, has had a large influence on Ejinim. Um, uh, AKM commanders commander who is um, uh, currently Abu Ubaidah Yusuf Annebi describes uh, Jinim as an integral part of AQIM, which he says is also an integral part um, of Al-Qaeda. Um, so so that, that's, he, he makes the link um, pretty strong. Um, there is also the fact that the Katiba al-Furqan, uh, which I mentioned is one of the four Katibas that constitute Jinim, is seen as um, AQIM Saharan branch, uh, uh, and it has numerous foreign fighters in its rank, including Mauritanians, Algerians, and others. And that makes um, it create almost an organic link between Jinim and the AQIM because they share one Katiba that is part of, of the two. So, so there is a pretty good link between them. It is just not clear whether this is um, a, 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 whether Jinim is subordinated to those movements or. It's uh, deal with them as equals. So, Ibrahim, let me, let me just push on that a little bit. As you say, Janim is a formal affiliate of uh, Al-Qaeda, but is there much evidence that that influences its behavior on a day-to-day basis? I mean, is there evidence that, for example, it's plotting attacks in the West, or is it sort of consumed with the struggle in the Sahel itself? Oh, no, no. There are no evidence of, um, of that. There is, I think... Most of the, the efforts that um, Jinim is furnishing is uh, directed um, locally. I think there was one instance in which um, when Jinim um, had hostages, uh, they wanted to, um, to to negotiate the liberation of those hostages, Western hostages, um, with other hostages uh, around the world. Uh, but that did not go through. I think it failed um, uh, because the negotiator told them that we cannot ask for negotiation of people um, uh, outside uh, the region. So I think there is no clear evidence of, of, of them um, coordinating attacks in that sense. And so, Ibrahim, that's Janim. Let's talk a moment about the, the government side. So as we heard up top, there have been two coups in Bamako, in Mali, in the last 18 months. What has that meant for the government's efforts against uh, Janim? Well, um, I mean, when we say the Malian government, let us be clear about what we mean with that. Um, uh, we're talking now about the transitional government, uh, which is led by the junta. Um, as you mentioned, we have witnessed two coups. Um, and uh, the, the situation, the political situation is still um, un- unstable. Um, what does that mean to the, the fighting against Jinim? Well, well currently, um, I think uh, a lot of um, debates are focused on the, the French involvement um, uh, in, 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 in this conflict and whether it's going to be sustained or it's going to change. Because Malian authorities um, uh, are aware that um, if we talk about uh, uh, mutual hurt instalment at this moment, that statement is um, uh, also um, there because of the, the French presence. Um, the day that the French presence are not, the, the, the day that the French would withdraw from Mali, um, that will leave 
um, that, that is likely um, to, to shift the, the balance of power uh, in favor of the jihadists. So, Ibrahim, in the view of the government, what do they see as happening if the French were to fully withdraw? So currently, let us be clear that the French are not um, deciding to withdraw. They are, have started to show fatigue um, and exasperation um, about the lack of, of progress um, in, 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 the, in the current situation. Um, so in, in, in March, in, in June 2020, President Macron um, decided uh, that uh, the, the French authorities will conduct a profound restructuring of its military presence in the Sahel. Um, and that, that restructuring um, is going to bring a, a, a three major changes. Uh, one is uh, the end of Balkan mission. Um, the second is closing down uh, the French military bases in northern Mali, um, including in Kidal, Tesalit, and Timbuktu. And the third one is downsizing um, the troops deployed in the region from currently um, uh, a maximum of 5,100 uh, soldiers to uh, a maximum of 3,000 soldiers um, by 2022. Um, uh, but they have made it clear that this restructuring doesn't mean a withdrawal. Um, uh, the, the French have insisted that they will maintain uh, their military engagement in the Sahel as long as the Sahelian state wants um, that engagement to continue. Um, they explained that the restructuring comes because of the need to adapt to new dynamics of the conflict, in particular the evolving jihadi tactics um, uh, in the region. But also, uh, they said it is aimed to prepare the national armies to take over um, the burden of defending and, uh, and protecting their countries um, uh, in, in, in the future. So, so currently, really, there is no... Um, there is no intention from the French side um, to, to, to withdraw the, the, the forces. And so, Ibrahim, let's talk about uh, negotiations in a moment. But can I ask a question first about the current approach? At the moment, it's, it's sort of counterinsurgency operations, plus, in some cases, development aid. Could you say something about why that hasn't actually worked? Well, on the side of the military operations, because of the way that the jihadists combat other insurgency. Um, they have um, shown considerable agility uh, in the face of pressure. Um, uh, as I mentioned, they move um, into the bushes um, or in, in mountains um, where they can better hide out. And uh, they adopt uh, guerrilla tactics uh, like ambushes, roadside bombs, and landmines to undermine counterterrorism efforts. Um, they uh, have tried to stay in away from um, the villages. And stay in the bushes, uh, but using a shadow governance system to exert influence uh, on the local population. And in places where people are resistant, they are capable of placing villages under siege and preventing uh, people from moving in and out uh, of those villages. And that, that is extremely um, effective in terms of forcing the local population to submit um, to, to, to their to the, to the rules. Uh, so, so that ha what what has been undermining um, the efforts to, to, to conquer them militarily. Uh, in terms of development, um, yes, the government, I mean, the government and the uh, international communities have said that this is all about poverty, and um, we need to bring development in those areas so that um, people, um, so that to, to boost the legitimacy of the, 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 the government, um, and that will uh, help in the fight against the jihadists. 
But what we have witnessed is that um, first, the jihadists are not very keen to allow uh, development activities to happen in areas under their control. But they like humanitarian activities like uh, distributing food rapidly, etc. Um, but in, in a few cases where development activities happen, um, they are the ones who allow it um, to happen. And when they are involved in it, even if it is distribution of food, uh, they tend to be um, more um, just uh, in their distribution, uh, in, in the way that everybody gets the equal share. And when they do that, it is not the government that is benefiting from the legitimacy um, of, out of that work, but the jihadists themselves. Ibrahim, let's talk now about sort of prospects for talks between Jinim and the Malian government. So alongside the fighting over the past couple of years, there have been contacts between militants and people close to the government and in fact between militants and other armed groups. So there has been this sort of engagement going on between the two sides. Could you just talk a little bit about sort of what's been happening so far? Yes, um, there is the daily engagement between the jihadists and the local communities um, on ways to manage local affairs. There is also a constant debate between jihadists and the religious leaders over the righteousness of the jihadist discourse. There is also constant engagement with humanitarian actors um, to negotiate access um, to vulnerable populations and even more ambitious engagement um, whereby humanitarians try to convince jihadists not to only um, provide access, but also to protect humanitarians, um, to stop enrolling children um, in, in, in the ranks, um, or to engage in uh, taking measures toward fighting or limiting the spread of COVID. Aside from this form of engagement, um, the government also has tried uh, to engage the jihadists um, at, at, at a few occasions. Uh, one of the, the main occasions is what is known in Mali as the Mission de Bons Offices, um, which started in 2017, uh, where the Malian government launched um, a dialogue initiative um, uh, conducted by uh, a well-known cleric, Mahmoud Duko, um, uh, who's very influential, and who at that time was the president of the High Islamic Council of Mali. Um, and the mission focused on uh, communities that could facilitate talks um, with local militants, who would then help establish contact with their leaders. And the goal was to advance peace through dialogue between that team of religious leaders, traditional notables on one side, and Jinim affiliates uh, on the other side. Um, when the, the, the mission was launched, really, um, in a few weeks later, there were some signs, some promising stuff, um, but it was unfortunately short-lived, um, mainly because um, it lacked um, uh, the support of uh, the president at that time, who is Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. Um, uh, he was uh, at that time a, a, a staunch opponent of, of, of such talks and he, he put an end to it. And Ibrahim, from what I understand now, both sides over recent months have sort of given suggestions that they may be more open now than they were in the past to political negotiations, albeit with some qualifications. How should we see those signs as, as indicators of their openness to talks? All right, so yes, in, starting in February um, 2020, uh, the Malian government, and this is really uh, because of the way that the situation has been evolving um, in the recent two years um, with um, uh, a spiking uh, level of violence. Uh, so the Malian government decided that uh, the military um, 
solution is not sufficient and they needed to change the strategy. So in February, the, the Malian government at that time, it was Ibrahim Boubacar Keita himself um, who said that um, he was willing to explore the way of dialogue with the jihadists. Um, only a few weeks later, um, the jihadists published a statement in which they welcomed um, uh, that uh, decision and uh, they said they are open to engage the Malian government um, but conditioning uh, their engagement with the withdrawal of French forces um, from Mali. Um, since then, um, really not a lot had, has happened. Um, we know that uh, the Malian government is plunged in political turmoil um, that led to the coup. Um, when the military junta took over, um, they initially upheld the decision to um, uh, pursue the dialogue option, but um, uh, lately uh, they, um, uh, I think, rolled back uh, from that decision. So to summarize, it has been two steps forward in terms of going into a dialogue, but one step back. Um, on the French side, because if you are talking about dialogue in, in this context, we talk about three main actors. We talk about the jihadists and then um, uh, the, the Malian government, but also France, who is uh, a major actor. And France has been um, opposed to direct dialogue with the jihadist leaders, in particular uh, Hamadoun Koufa and uh, Yad al-Ghali. Um, recently, uh, they have uh, designated Yad al-Ghali as, as the top target uh, for counterterrorism efforts uh, in the region. Ibrahim, what do you see as the role of events in Afghanistan here? How have Janim and the government uh, seen the Taliban takeover of Kabul? I mean, first of all, Janim acclaimed the U.S. Taliban uh, negotiations uh, that led to the withdrawal of the U.S. troops from Afghanistan and uh, the Taliban takeover. Um, uh, they described it as a victory of, of jihad. Janim uh, and the AQIM issued a joint statement in which they congratulated the Afghan um, people for this victory, uh, drawing the lesson that jihad is only is the only way um, to liberate the Muslim Ummah. Um, so Taliban takeover has uh, seems to have a galvanizing effect um, on 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 Janim. It raised uh, the morale um, of of of, uh, of the militants. In particular, the, the Taliban's victory has exposed uh, the limits of counterterrorism efforts that they rely heavily on Western um, foreign troops and has demonstrated how um, a local jihadist movement like Jinn um, can win through tenacity and determination, uh, eventually overcoming um, a broad international coalition. I think this is the main message that um, Jinn uh, draw from, from, from this victory. You know? Uh, but the Taliban's takeover is unlikely um, to, to directly impact the current balance of power, um, uh, I, I think, between uh, the, the jihadists and the state authorities. Um, there is little evidence, as we mentioned, of a concrete link between the two, um, or even a flow of material support um, from one to another. So, Ibrahim, taking note of the various objections that you've raised to negotiations with some of the jihadi groups, if there were to be negotiations with Janim, what would a compromise look like? Is there is there space for compromise here at all? Yes, um, I, I think um, uh, there are ways in which um, a compromise uh, can be possible. 
um, uh, in particular on certain certain trade-offs um, uh, between uh, Jinim and, and, and the Malian authorities. Um, first, I think uh, um, one of the most contentious questions um, is about um, uh, the role of Islam in politics and in society. Um, and I think it is true that currently the two sides are sitting on separate tables on this and they cling on, max, on maximalist expectations. On the one hand, jihadists demand important changes and transformations in line with their ideology, ideological discourse, um, aiming to give Islam a greater role in defining the nature of the state, uh, its institution and the people's behavior. On the other hand, you have the authorities and the elites who are committed to the principle of secularism um, that is, uh, as I mentioned, is enshrined in, 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 the, in the Constitution. Um, so the gap between the two positions is enormous. However, there may be a narrow window of opportunity for free to people gains on issues of justice, for example, and the practicality of its implementation. In Mali, um, it's clear that Islam regulates a significant part of people's daily life. Uh, most people, particularly in rural areas, I refer primarily to traditional or religious jurisdictions to settle family issues, land disputes, um, uh, as well as other matters. Um, it is only after the religious jurisdiction fail to solve the issues that people then refer to modern courts. Um, so the Malian government had started actually a project to recognize and valorize uh, the function of Qadis, uh, who are the Islamic uh, Judges. Um, on the other hand, the jihadists have uh, also accepted that local communities choose their own Qadi and they refer to them. Um, and all the Qadis in northern um, as well as in central Mali draw on the same books um, of Maliki jurisprudence. So if you have a government that is willing to promote the role of the, uh, the Islamic courts and you have uh, jihadists who also accept that the judges that should uh, officiate in those courts um, can come from the local communities. The local communities can choose them and they can also implement the same type of books of jurisprudence that they have implemented in the past. So there is really a window of opportunity here for both to come together um, and agree at least on, on, on this aspect. Um, and this is not going to make a significant change in people's life, but it has a potential um, to, to bridge the gap in terms of this um, uh, very contentious issue of um, Sharia implementation in, in the rural areas. We have also talked about the possibility of agreement in terms of using the decentralized system of, of governance um, that can give a larger um, uh, authority and autonomy to local populations to choose the way uh, they run their schools, um, uh, the, the justice system that they could uh, implement locally, and this could, could all open um, opportunities to, to, um, uh, to, to bridge some of the gaps that are currently um, uh, impending um, the, 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 the negotiations between the two sides. I think Mali could inspire from other countries in the region, including Mauritania or Niger, where um, this type of dual system exists. In terms of combining some elements of Sharia governance with more secular systems of government? Exactly, yes. Um, uh, I think this is, this is one of the hardest things um, uh, in terms of achieving negotiations. 
if, if we need both sides need to compromise, they need to compromise, um, and that compromise uh, should entail a full Islamic system, um, but also um, certain compromises on the secular system of the state, so that um, there is uh, a, a middle ground, and that there are already countries that are trying this system, and they they could um, inspire from that. And Ibrahim, how would people in the areas affected view that sort of middle ground, the sort of compromise or mix you describe? And, and, and what would it mean for women in those areas, for example? So let us say that at the local level, uh, there is less contention about giving Islam a greater role in public life. Um, uh, and this is particularly true for uh, the rural areas. Uh, several surveys, uh, whether by Barometer or um, CIPRI or um, a Pew Research Center uh, in Mali uh, demonstrate uh, that a significant portion of uh, the Malian population uh, trust more traditional and religious institutions than state institutions, and they prefer um, uh, to refer the, the um, judicial cases, cases um, uh, to uh, those traditional and religious courts as opposed to uh, state courts. Um, in other words, um, many people actually are not opposed uh, to the implementation of uh, the Sharia per se, um, but um, they are worried about what aspect of Sharia is being implemented and how it is implemented. Um, they are opposed in particular to the excessive use of violence by jihadists um, uh, on behalf of the implementation of Sharia. Um, uh, most people also are opposed to the jihadist attempt uh, to impose a particular Islamic creed over another. Um, uh, for example, um, uh, jihadists have tried uh, to impose a particular veil uh, for women. Um, this is a Saudi type of veil um, as opposed to um, uh, a local veil that is known um, uh, for centuries, um, and uh, this is um, uh, creating an anger because people think that a veil is a veil, whether it is the Saudi veil or um, the Pakistani veil or um, uh, the, the, the Malian veil, um, as long as it covers the body, um, that would be enough. But uh, these uh, contentious issues are being addressed by the jihadists now in, 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 in the area, um, uh, in, in northern as well as central Mali. Um, uh, the jihadists have increasingly appointed um, local qadis um, uh, to replace, in, in some cases, um, foreigners uh, who, um, who have officiated in, in, in those Islamic court, courts. The jihadists now um, uh, encourage uh, local qadis um, approved by, by local populations and sometimes uh, on the request uh, by the communities they are uh, appointing uh, local qadis to um, uh, handle um, uh, justice cases uh, using the same Maliki uh, jurisprudence, uh, the book of the Maliki jurisprudence that have been used uh, for centuries um, uh, in, in, in that area. And this is um, uh, creating some changes um, in the sense that it is softening um, the, the, the implementation of Sharia um, at, at that level. Uh, one example of that is closing a religious school. Um, uh, for example, in, in some areas in Tombuktu, in Gundam in particular, um, uh, there, there are um, local religious leaders who have issued a fatwa uh, saying that um, uh, we can open, reopen schools 
um, uh, as long as the school respects uh, uh, certain conditions. Jihadists have closed schools based on um, the idea that francophone schools are un-Islamic because um, they mix boys and girls and because um, they, they do not teach um, uh, Islamic courses. Um, and uh, the, these local ideas now are saying that since this is the issue, um, a school can reopen as long as they respect um, uh, those conditions. Um, which is um, separating boys and girls and having girls uh, wearing veils, um, but also um, adding religious curriculums um, in, 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 in their courses. And, and of course, um, a lot of uh, the jihadist laws um, have affected women in, in a particularly um, a difficult way. Um, for example, when the jihadists impose a dress code um, on women or prevent uh, the mixing of male and female um, in uh, public transport, uh, in taxis, boats, donkey chart, etc., um, they restrict women's ability to perform some of their daily activities, including farming, because the dress code is not really comfortable for, for farming. Um, they uh, also restrict their traveling ability uh, and um, their ability also to trade in between rural markets because they need to travel. Um, so, so it makes their lives really um, difficult. Um, there is also the propensity by the jihadists to whip um, women, uh, often in public, in, in the markets, um, when they find women who do not comply um, with the, the dress code that they have imposed. And actually, this is one of the major um, cause of uh, frustration among, among villagers. Um, the fact that uh, the jihadists are um, now uh, uh, appointing local bodies, um, uh, indigenizing um, those courts, uh, this is um, bringing uh, some, some softening. Now there is uh, some tension between uh, the police of morality, the Hezbollah, which is in charge of enforcing um, those moral codes, and uh, the, the, the local um, guardians uh, that the jihadists are appointing. Um, but um, hopefully uh, this sort of uh, practice um, of the, the indigenization of the courts, but also um, uh, the, the intervention of the local communities to ask the, the leaders to soften their practices um, may bring some relief um, to, to, to the locals. How much then is the framing of Janine as terrorist standing in the way of negotiations? Is part of the obstacle here the affiliation with Al-Qaeda? Yeah, I think um, that, that complicates things. Um, uh, is, is there a negotiation to happen? It has to be um, with uh, some of the leaders of the, the Janine. And uh, those leaders and the, and the organization itself, the coalition itself, are designated as terrorist groups. And so that limits the possibility of, um, of uh, international and foreign actors uh, to engage them and uh, for them to travel to other countries where uh, these negotiations could happen. The UN Secretary General is one of the actors, the leaders who thought that um, discussions with groups like Jinim can be possible in Mali, uh, excluding other groups like uh, the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara, for example, groups that are linked to ISIS. He's not alone. Um, uh, other leaders, uh, like the, the, the head of the Security uh, Commission of the African Union, also um, has, made this, has made similar statements. But uh, even though the, the, the UN Secretary General accepts himself to, to say that, it's unlikely to change um, the fact that um, these groups and the leaders are uh, is, are, are listed uh, in the in, in the in the um, among terrorist organizations that 
So I think yes, listing them on on this uh, in this uh, as terrorist groups um, is, is is part of the harder. Um, but also the fact that they have linked with other organizations among the leaders in Mali who um, have who who have pronounced themselves against dialogue. Um, this is one of the arguments that they put forward um, that the jihadist leaders lack autonomy um, and leeway uh, to make uh, deals and respect those deals uh, that they make because um, they are. Um, embroiled into broader um, jihadist networks. Ibrahim, let's say there are talks, and you know, I appreciate, there's, as, as you say, there's a long way to go before that happens, but let's say that the government and Janim do get to the table, they can strike some sort of compromise along the lines you talked about on devolved governance, the role of Islam in public life. Even if that were to happen, what, what role do you see some of the Janim leaders playing, like men like Iyad Ghali or Amadou Kufa that, that you talked about, what sort of role do you think they, they, they might accept? I mean, would they expect a, a share of power nationally? Would they be content with some local role? How do you see their future in such a scenario? So, so let us be clear, uh, even though Geneva has made it clear that they want uh, that dialogue to happen, um, it, 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 their purposes um, behind that dialogue is, is, not, is not very clear. Um, um, Geneva, for example, has uh, not defined... Uh, how would a successful settlement of this conflict um, look like? Um, it has never clarified uh, what would, uh, how would uh, the institutional and the political system um, uh, look like, uh, the one that they want to see established um, after negotiations of the government, whether they will engage in a power sharing, whether their, um, uh, their armed force would demobilize um, and be uh, reintegrated in, in the Malian um, in the Malian armed force. Um, all these are unknown. Um, uh, it's not clear whether Jinim envision uh, actually a definitive settlement by which um, they would accept to renounce um, violence and become a political actor ready um, uh, to pursue political changes. Um, um, peacefully by using political means rather than violent means. Uh, definitely, if they accept that, that would be the best outcome. Um, but they have not; they have never clarified uh, that that would be the case. Actually, Jinim um, uh, may only perceive uh, military uh, victory as the only possible end game, and the talks um, as a mean of getting rid of um, foreign forces so as to achieve to achieve that military victory um, uh, in the same way as the Taliban um, did. So um, there is still a lot of uncertainty really um, surrounding this decision to, to pursue dialogue on the Jinim side. So as you've told us, there are a number of major challenges to talks. But if the government and Jinim leaders were to move in the direction of talks, what might some steps be in that direction at this point? So, so let, let, me, let me make it clear that Dialogue is uh, not the panacea. Um, you know, it is uh, dialogue comes with risks. Tuition talks would be um, a leap into the unknown. Um, uh, it carries dangers for a government already weakened by internal power struggle. Um, but as the past eight years have shown, um, the military approach alone is not a viable solution. Um, we have to add to the military. Um, other tools that have been unused or underused so far so to create the opportunity for changing conflict dynamic. 
um, there is a long way to go uh, before such dialogue could come about. Could, could come about. Um, uh, Malian officials and Geneva leaders can take um, concrete steps to render talks a viable option. First, uh, they need to bolster their commitments to peace talks and diffuse resistance within the ranks. Um, secondly, um, they should appoint high-level negotiation teams to prepare an agenda. And finally, um, uh, they should decide who could serve as mediator. Um, these steps um, would clear important obstacles to dialogue and send a clear signal um, that both sides are willing to pursue a settlement to non-military means. Um, let me also make clear about one point, that the, the goal of this report is, is less to combine actor to go to dialogue, but to start, the starting point is that both the main actors, the Malian governments and Jinim, have accepted to engage in dialogue, but um, they are not engaging in that dialogue because of some reservations um, among themselves, but also among the, 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 their partners, in particular France. So the goal of this is to um, show how we can move from accepting um, to engage in talks uh, to creating the conditions for talk for talk to take place. So the goal of this of this, of this report is to fill that little gap between accepting to engage um, to creating the conditions to engage. And I thought that those steps that we mentioned can create the conditions for, for, for that gap to be filled. Ibrahim, thank you so much for a fascinating discussion. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So, Richard, I think Ibrahim shed light on a number of factors that might impact even the possibility for engagement or negotiation with Janim, including the impact of terrorist designation, a potential objection from other armed or militant groups within the country, as well as the shakiness of the government itself. What was your take on this conversation? Yeah, another extremely rich uh, discussion. And Nas, this is the this is the big question, right? I mean, it's the big question in, in, in the Sahel, but we talked about it last week in Somalia, and it's, it's relevant in other places too. This this question of, of prospects for diplomacy with groups like Janim, Al-Shabaab, groups that are fighting locally but are linked to Al-Qaeda or ISIS. They have these transnational ties, even if, as Ibrahim talked about, their primary focus is local. You know, little suggests that they're going to be defeated militarily anytime uh, soon. I should be clear and, and sort of reiterate what Ibrahim said, that I don't think anyone would suggest that talks are a, a, a panacea, that there's these huge challenges that, that Ibrahim laid out and, and we talked about last week with, with, with Al-Shabaab. Um, I think one crucial question is is the one, Naz, that you asked Ibrahim, uh, sort of what does a compromise or what might a compromise actually entail and, and is that feasible? And I think in some ways you can make a comparison between Islamist militants, between jihadists and separatists in that separatists are also insurgents who want something that is very, very difficult to accommodate. They want independence and basically states themselves and the international system more broadly uh, tend to be very, very resistant to 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 new states. Sure, there've been exceptions over the past over the past few decades: East Timor, Kosovo, South Sudan. But generally, the international system is very opposed to to to, to new states. But with separatists, there are many steps before you get to independence, right? I mean, you, you've got 
can give groups language rights, you can give people control over local education, all the way through to autonomy and, and, and self-rule. So there's sort of a lot you can negotiate over with a group that, you know, in principle wants, wants independence. With Islamist militants, the big question, I think, is sort of are there similar steps or compromises with leaders who appear to have a very sort of uncompromising view of, of, of what they want? Are there compromises on, for example, the links to Al-Qaeda or, or, or ISIS? Or, as, as Ibrahim sort of laid out in a, in a really fascinating way, are there compromises on their vision for the role Islam should play in public life? I mean, how much space is there for compromise with groups that appear to have very doctrinal views on how society should be run? Now, all, all that said, and, and despite all the challenges, I think our position in the Sahel, in Somalia, and, and in general, is that talk should still be an option, that the path shouldn't be automatically closed off, and that given that prospects uh, seem pretty gloomy for defeating militarily groups like Janim and al-Shabaab, that options for engagement are usually worth at least exploring, even with all the dangers foremost in people's minds. Hold Your Fire is a production of the International Crisis Group. I'm Naz Modirzadeh. And I'm Richard Atwood. You can find all of our work, including our work by Ibrahim and his colleagues on the Sahel, on our website, crisisgroup.org, or follow us on Twitter, at Crisis Group. Thank you very much to our producer, Sam Mednick. And thanks, as ever, to all our listeners. Please don't hesitate to drop us a line. If you have any questions or suggestions about anything you've heard, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.